Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more, access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 197 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, why can't we be friends? Is it really that bad? I decided to dedicate one of the earliest episodes of No Bullshit Leadership to the issue of friendships in the workplace. It was episode 14, Friendly, but not Friends. Since then, a few things have happened. We've had over a thousand leaders take our flagship program, Leadership Beyond the Theory. Societal standards have changed. Yes, believe it or not, in only three or four years. COVID has come and gone, sort of, (laughs) and I've been challenged by many leaders who've said to me, Marty, I completely disagree with this principle. Some of the best working relationships I've ever had have become friendships. But despite all of this, I still firmly believe that the way to go in relationships with people who work for you is to be friendly, but not friends. So I figured it's time I did a reboot on this important topic. Like anything else in leadership, every relationship you develop is different. This requires you to read the play and to apply your experience and judgment to each specific situation. So today, I'm going to start with a quick overview of the key concepts behind my philosophy. And then, I'm going to talk about a couple of things that I think may have changed in the last few years. If you want to get my original thoughts as a baseline, you can listen to my first attempt, which is at yourceomentor.com forward slash episode 14. And if you go to that link, 
You'll also find it downloadable with my tips for handling these tricky situations. So let's get into it. When I say friendly, not friends, what do I mean? What does it mean to be friendly? Well, I'm friendly to pretty much everyone I come into contact with. It's in my nature. So whether you're serving me in a restaurant, standing in line in front of me at the pharmacy, or even if you just happen to work for the same company that I do, I'm quick to smile, engage, and connect with people on a human level. And I'm genuinely interested in who they are and what they have to say. In the workplace, with the people who actually worked on my teams, it meant I did a lot of listening, particularly to my direct reports. I paid attention to what was important to each individual that I interacted with. I knew what made them tick. I knew about their aspirations, their frustrations and their joys. I could tell when they were off their game and I could tell when they were performing at their best. I shared as much of myself as I could if I thought that it would help them to be better or to have a broader perspective. All of this without crossing the line to being friends. They knew they could count on my support and guidance, and I was direct and honest in my communication. But for the most part, I wasn't their friend. Being friends is more than this. It goes beyond a friendly collegial relationship and enters another realm altogether. The key differences are this. As friends, you would normally find yourself spending a lot of time together socially outside of the work environment. Friends share things with each other, thoughts, feelings, desires, etc., that they wouldn't share with someone who is just a colleague. There's a very close personal bond that friends develop that says, you can rely on me to have your back no matter what. It's part of the unspoken psychological commitment that friends make to each other. And that's where it gets complicated and the playing field that the team operates on becomes skewed. The key difference in my definition between friendly and friends can be summed up in one phrase. Professional distance. Professional distance keeps an appropriate line between you and the people who work for you, and that line can't be crossed. You can have really strong, connected, caring relationships with the people you work with and still maintain your professional distance. And that is all important. With friends, you invariably lose the objectivity that comes with professional distance, no matter how good you might think you are at maintaining it. Being friendly costs nothing. It enables you to demonstrate genuine interest and connection with another human. It adds value to people if you can make them smile or think or, or share a different perspective. And hey, over here in the US, it's often enough for me to just say, g'day. So being friendly with the people you work with is really good. In fact, if you want to be a great leader, I'd say it's essential. You need a context to operate within that demonstrates that you actually care about the people who turn up each day to give their best to you and the team. And in my experience, you won't ever be able to get the best from your people unless you know them reasonably well. Otherwise, how would you know how far to stretch them? How would you be able to read the signs of stress or burnout? How would you be able to find development opportunities that are aligned with their career ambitions? Being friendly is the starting point for trust and respect. So, what's the big deal about being friends? Well, I'm going to give you eight reasons why being friends with the people who work for you isn't a good idea. Number one, 
it changes the nature of the relationship on both sides. The leader will make concessions for a friend that they wouldn't otherwise make. And the follower will take advantage of the leader's good nature because of the friendship. Oh no, not me, Marty, I hear you say. I've got that under control. I'm completely impartial. Well, I'm afraid that's bullshit. You won't be able to avoid it. It happens no matter what. Not because either of you are malicious, not because either of you are bad people, not even because either of you consciously seek to do so. It's simply the unconscious bias that changes the way you treat a friend. Reason number two. No matter what you say or think, you will find it even harder to do the hard work of leadership. When there's a hard conversation that needs to be held, or a hard decision that needs to be made, you will rationalise even more when it comes to a friend. You will hesitate for longer, or maybe forever. You'll reject the negatives and instead give them the benefit of any doubt in every situation. Reason number three, it'll be harder to overcome your inbuilt biases. Now just think about the prime example of halo effect. I spoke about this a few weeks ago in episode 192, Avoiding Common Biases. If one of your direct reports is your friend, you'll no doubt have a higher level of respect and admiration for them. You'll have exposure to a broader range of their behaviours and worldviews through your friendship interactions. You'll look more favourably on them in all areas of their performance. You'll think of friends as high potential people. Hey, look, you may even make commitments to them that you shouldn't about their advancement inside the organisation. Reason number four. You need to exercise your duty of care as a leader without fear or favour. People have to be given the same opportunities, the same support, the same protections. Now, just be careful with this one. I'm talking about equality of opportunity, not equality of outcome. The outcomes people achieve should be determined by one thing and one thing only, performance. Number five, a friend will eat into your respect before popularity mantra. Now, you'll recall that the very first episode of No Bullshit Leadership was called Respect Before Popularity because this is the number one principle for a leader to observe when they're trying to lead people well. When you're with a friend, you will want to be popular. You'll want to build and foster that friendship. You won't want to risk it by being unpopular, by doing unpopular things. If you can't keep your focus on respect before popularity with everyone on your team, it's a really slippery slope. Reason number six, you'll find it hard to keep your guard up and you're likely to share things that you probably shouldn't with a friend who's at a lower level than you are. And this happens for two reasons. The first is you'll have more opportunities to talk about work in a less formal and less structured environment. Perhaps over a beer, you might be sitting on each other's porches. The second reason is that your additional familiarity will make you feel more relaxed and you'll be less careful about letting things slip. You'll be more open about how you feel with a friend. So little comments may start to slip about peers or superiors. You may find yourself sharing confidential information that should be only shared at your level. Surely my friend will keep my confidence, I hear you say. You sure about that? My definition of a secret is something that you only tell one other person. 
So you can do the math on that one. Number seven, there will be perceptions of favoritism in your team. And this erodes your credibility. It's even worse when your friendship goes to the next level and you have a romantic relationship with someone in your team. That's wrong on so many levels. But uh, more on that one shortly. Finally, number eight, when a friend underperforms and you have to make the tough decision to remove them from their role, that leaves a nasty taste in everyone's mouth. Now, there were three occasions in my corporate career where I had to terminate someone who I was pretty close to. I wouldn't say that any of them were close friends, but closer than I would have liked under the circumstances. We knew each other's families and we'd spend a number of social occasions together. So if they don't perform and you manage to steel yourself to take the necessary action, it basically heralds the end of the friendship for all involved. Then, any friends of those friends also decide that you're the devil, leaving a noticeable hole in your social calendar. And make no mistake, it falls to the leader who makes the hard decision to bear the brunt of it. Everyone looking from the outside in thinks that it's heartless to treat a friend that way. Which is sort of ironic because the friend who didn't perform in that role should feel worse for not delivering and for leading their friend, the leader, down. So what's changed since I recorded episode 14? Well, I've learnt that COVID has made a difference. Since remote working has taken root, it's more difficult to grow work friendships, which is probably a good thing. But it also means that perceptions of access and time spent with team members are even more important. If a team member feels isolated, but they manage to work out that other people are getting more face time with you as the boss, that can create a division between the haves and the have-nots. And this makes it especially important to level the playing field for every team member. I've also learnt that differentiating on merit naturally creates stronger relationships. Now, I sort of already knew that, but the dozens of conversations I've had on this topic in the last few years have really reinforced it. I said in the original episode that you should spend 90% of your time with your best people. And if you actually manage to do that well, you will develop stronger relationships with your best people and you'll naturally be closer to them. So there's likely to be a strong correlation between someone who you're close to and someone who is actually delivering the goods. The secret here is to make sure you keep that professional distance, no matter what. I've learned that there are some genuinely tricky situations. What happens, for example, if you're promoted from within your team to then lead that same team. This is a really common scenario, and it's likely you will have developed peer friendships which are entirely appropriate. But then, you're thrust into a position where you now have to lead those same people, some of whom might be friends. Well, the bad news is, you cannot put the toothpaste back in the tube on this one. However, you can mitigate the potential negatives by putting explicit boundaries in place. Now for me, it's a lot of years since I was in that position. However, even way back then, I understood the difficulties of having to lead someone who was a close friend. You should have a really clear and explicit conversation. Something like this should do the trick. You ready? Hey Greg, this is a potentially tricky situation. You know that you're a close friend of mine, but now I have to lead this team. I can't afford to show any favoritism because that would end in tears for both of us. 
I absolutely don't want to lose our friendship, but I'm going to have to put some boundaries in place at work. I'll still always be there for you personally, but I know you'll understand why I need to be a little less familiar with you in the office. So even though you can't undo the past, this is a good way of putting some professional distance in place, at least when you're around each other in a work environment. What else have I learned? I've learned more about small towns and family businesses. Now, small towns are really hard. I gave a keynote in Florida at the end of last year to a large energy cooperative. And one of the board directors was facilitating the Q&A session after my speech. He asked me that very question. Basically, it was, how do you not form friendships? His business was only small in relative terms, and many of his people had worked for him for over 20 years. They do have weekend barbecues and social gatherings. Their families are often close to one another. And I also ran into this when I was leading CS Energy. There are places where a particular operational site is the main employer in the town. So everyone's kids go to the same school. Your leader's husbands play social sport together on a Wednesday night. It's almost impossible to be friendly, not friends, in those circumstances. This is why keeping professional distance is absolutely essential in these circumstances. But it can be incredibly difficult. We even used to bring in middle managers from outside of the town just so that they didn't have those deep, strong family bonds with the people they had to lead. Middle managers who take a strong line on performance in places like this are often ostracised in the community. Their wives don't get invited to social events. Their kids are bullied at school. Can you believe that? Forget being a CEO. These are the toughest leadership jobs around. If you're interested, I did a podcast episode on this a while back called The Curse of the Middle Manager. So that's yourceomentor.com forward slash episode 74. Okay, now here's something that's really changed in a few short years. The dynamics of romantic relationships in the workplace. I've had many people say to me since episode 14, Marty, I don't agree with you. That's ridiculous. I met my husband at work. Okay, fair enough. I get that. But we've seen so many cases in the last few years of high-profile, highly-paid successful executives whose careers have been ruined because they haven't understood one really important principle. When you're the boss, there is a power dynamic that almost guarantees that you can't have a relationship of equals. It's almost like an age of consent issue, but it's now a position of consent issue. Let me explain. In many countries, the age of consent is interpreted in a way that says, until someone reaches a certain age, they are incapable of giving their consent. They don't have the maturity, the experience or the understanding to give genuine consent. Think about this in the context of power dynamics at work. Although I'm the first one to fight for the rights of female agency and self-determination, this is an awfully muddy area. Social norms, particularly in the US and Australia, seem to have swung much further into the direction of protecting women from predatory behaviour in the workplace. And this is an incredibly welcome and long overdue change. But I'm sure there are also many workplaces where this hasn't yet taken root. Now let's think about the risks, particularly to male leaders. Comments that only a few short years ago would have been considered acceptable are now taboo. 
the slightest hint of what we call an unwanted advance is now a punishable offence. And perhaps this is exactly what we needed to redress the imbalance and protect the many females who don't feel as though they have the power to speak up, to push back, or to bring attention to this unacceptable behaviour, all because of the power dynamics. So guess what? Male or female, when you're a leader, you cannot, must not, think that it's in any way acceptable to cross that line with someone who works for you. It's the only way to be sure that the object of your affections isn't compliant because of the power dynamics at play. So if you're in a relationship with someone who works for you, one of you probably needs to get another job. And if you think you can keep it secret, you can't. Let me illustrate this one with a quick example. Now, many years ago, my executive assistant brought to my attention the fact that two senior leaders from different departments, one of whom was a peer to me, had coinciding travel schedules. There was no reason on God's green earth why they needed to be in the same location at the same time. But she found out when reconciling the travel expenses for the group that these two, who had completely unrelated jobs, had a habit of flying to the same location at the same time, a pattern that had been established for over a year. Both were married, but not to each other, <laughs> and they were having what they thought was a well-concealed office affair, although many people suspected. This was a real integrity lapse in my eyes. I don't know about you, but I would really struggle to trust anyone who's willing to fabricate reasons to travel on the company's money so that they can spend time with the object of their affections. It reeks of a self-seeking lack of integrity. No matter how you slice and dice it, a workplace romance will end in tears. Perhaps one of you decides to call a quits and the other one seeks revenge. Perhaps someone in the team decides that they should make a more public issue of the obvious favouritism that can't be avoided when you're romantically involved with one of your people. Perhaps you just have that nagging feeling that you're always caught between doing the right thing by your romantic partner or doing the right thing for the team and company, as is your job. To tie all this up, I've had people say to me that their most productive and best working relationships were with friends and that it didn't impair their judgment at all. Well, that may be their perspective, but I remain deeply sceptical that anyone can operate without the subconscious favouritism of friendship influencing their decisions and actions. Leadership's hard enough without this. So keep your professional distance and remain friendly, but not friends. All right, so that brings us to the end of episode 197. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please share this episode with your leadership network. It may completely change someone's perspective on the relationships they have with their people. I'll look forward to next week's episode, where I'll take on another Q&A with them. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader. <laughs>